Just so you know, there may be some swearing. From the kitchen table, this is Gate Close Panic. of getting ready to move to London at the moment and it's taking up all of my brain. One strange effect of my impending exit is that I've suddenly started picking up all these little opportunities to work and to learn. There's something about the combination of being busy and being open to change that's just opened the floodgates to this. Listening back to this week's guest, Ren, speak about their career, it occurs to me that some people live in this way all the time. They're somehow open, always looking around them for what they can learn and how they can grow. I suppose that's part of the reason Ren has had such an interesting and impressive career. They've always looked at themselves for areas to develop and learn, and in reaching out for these lessons, found that there are always opportunities, even if they're not the ones you had in mind. Ren also speaks with Candor about their personal experience of building a career in a way that I think a lot of people in the arts would as work and life bleed into one another until they're almost indiscernible. Politics, inner life, leisure activities all become aspects of your professional self. I recently had lunch with a friend who declared that he felt that we ought all just to go to work from nine to five and not expect our jobs to fulfil us, but instead look for that fulfilment in our personal time. Spoken like somebody who hasn't laboured for years in an unfulfilling job, But I do think there's an argument for boundaries. Whether any truly passionate arts workers would be able to adhere to them is another question. I'll be back at the bottom of the episode. Until then, enjoy. I'd like to acknowledge that the land this was recorded on is the land of the Ghana people, the traditional custodians of the land, and that their sovereignty was never ceded. And I want to pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Oh my god! And thank and I think it's in the episode that she says, like, I've done one before, and they lost the whole episode. <laughs> it was like a nightmare. But thankfully, my auntie worked in IT, and she just oh, she was so smart about it. My god. Oh. Anyway, okay. yes, yeah, so it was traumatic. It's working. I can see our voices, so that's Great. good. Okay, cool. So um, when you're ready, introduce yourself and what you do, and then I'm going to ask you a question after that, so we'll just go from there. Yeah, cool. Hi, I'm Ren Soggy. Um, I'm a non-binary arts worker based in Adelaide, South Australia, originally born in the UK and migrated when I was 17. I work from a queer and feminist agenda uh, and try to work as intersectionally as possible. Um, and... I'm really interested in how art can be a safe space to have difficult conversations. Nice. You have such an Australian accent. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I lost it very quickly. <laughs> My family is still very British, but somehow I uh, lost you. it after six months. And... Whoa. Yeah. All right. Cool. Fair enough. <laughs> um, all right. So you kind of know this from listening to the podcast, but um, I'll just get you to start 
wherever you think is relevant. Lots of people start at school, some people after. Um, but when you first started kind of conceptualizing of a career, whether you knew it was going to end up being, you know, work or not, but when you first started thinking about those sorts of things. Sure. So I grew up in the UK and one of the first things I actually remember is being in year two at school, being told I was going to be a teacher. And that has been a shadow to my life <laughs> all the way through. Who was telling you this? Uh, my teachers, my parents, just the way I, way I interacted with people, the way I created space for people and engaged with people from a very early age. Everyone was just like, she's going to be a teacher. Wow. Yeah, which was a really full-on thing. And I, I think I remember making a promise to myself that I wasn't going to be a teacher because I was I was a very contrary kid. Yeah, okay. Still am in some ways. <laughs> I think that's where a lot of my activism kind of originates from. Yeah, okay. Like, no, that's not right. Yeah. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. All right. So moving through school, if you were kind of like pushing back against this, what were your ideas of what you would do? Well, I wasn't really sure. Um, I think I was interested in so many things and lucky enough to be good at a lot of things mm. um, that it made it really hard to figure out what I could be if I wasn't going to be a teacher. And I guess, too, I kind of lived in a family where I had a stay-at-home mum and my dad was a shift worker at a bank and everyone around me had very normal mainstream jobs. Yeah. And I think I really struggled to see where I was going to be mm. um, and knew that it wasn't where I was, but I didn't know how to find out what I, I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, I was very bookish, not the smartest kid on the block, but definitely like engaged. And I did a lot of arts because it was uh, like music in particular was where mm. I sat and did a lot of stuff. So I think for a long time I thought it would be music based. Mm. Yeah. I was either in the library or I was in a music class yeah. doing something. And that was also as a way to stay safe as someone who was often picked on for being bookish or smart or just a little bit left of centre. Yeah. Grew up in quite a low socioeconomical area in mm. the UK um, and my parents were very proper and my space was very, the, the way I interacted with other people as a result was a bit different mm. because I couldn't engage with them socially outside of school as much. And I think I was also the oldest child on both sides of the family. So I was also the trailblazer in a lot of ways, yeah. but didn't have someone to look up to for guidance or to talk to. I had to be that person. So yes. I think I had to teach myself a lot of social skills and maybe haven't always been very good at the social side of stuff as a result of yeah. not having that, yeah. which has been a personal challenge, but yeah. I think that's something I still navigate day to day. Yes, yeah. And I think too, although it wasn't obvious to me, and I didn't, I grew up in a kind of situation where queerness wasn't a problem to me, but yeah. I never thought to apply it to myself, but I got teased a lot about it, so... Interesting. Yeah, um, that was also kind of always background going on as well. But yeah. I was pretty lucky my school group, once I got kind of a set friend group in high school, it was quite a diverse bunch of people for the kind of place we were living. Yeah. We were the, definitely, like, was there, there were kids from India and Pakistan and from Hong Kong and from Germany and from Romania. We had wow. one evangelical Christian person in our group. So it was really kind of this incredible mishmash of people. Yeah, a little pocket of, of diversity. Yeah, wow. from all sorts of different backgrounds. So that kind of like, once I found that group, it became a lot easier. Mm. And then, yeah, I had to move countries. It's, it's really impressive 
how kids do that, how they kind of gather what they need around them if it's not kind of readily available. Mm. Really, it, it strikes me whenever I hear those sorts of stories. Mm. I had a kind of a similar experience of having been in a really conservative place, but having just with whatever instinct I had found the kind of found the people mm. I needed to kind of feed me what I needed to not feel completely isolated. Mm. You moved then, so you left that behind. What yeah. was that like for you? Um, it was very challenging, difficult time. Mm. Um, when we applied to move to Australia, my parents had been out for a month to visit. My mum had some distant cousins on the East Coast, yeah. um, and my dad had some family friends from when he was like five or six that mm. live in Adelaide. Mm. And so they came out and visited and decided it was a thing they were going to do, um, it being a process that being kind of in consideration since before I was born but couldn't oh, wow. hold due to family stuff yeah and there'd been a bit of family not talking to each other that kind of helped propel that situation of us migrating along yeah when we applied I only had two years of school I, I we would have um, only had to do uh, 12 and 13 in the UK which is um, A levels um, and in the end, I did the first year of A-levels because uh, September 11th actually happened just after we lodged our visa applications. Oh, wow. um, so the visa process that should have been three to four months turned into an 18-month process. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, I'm very privileged to be in a position where I got to migrate um, under my dad's skills yeah. to Australia. It's mm. pretty amazing. But, yeah, that was kind of – it made it a much more bumpy experience mm. in terms of, like – transitioning school and transitioning groups and then I missed out on that last year of like social stuff with the people so then when I moved to Australia that connection there just didn't actually continue so yeah. I, I, I got quite isolated when I came I over here but we also because we had to wait for so long we kind of like packed up our house at the end of the school year which is June in the UK yeah and lived out of suitcases from for like nine ten months oh and settled in Adelaide eventually in just before the school year started how disorienting yeah and the school systems are really different yes. between the two countries yes. and some of the stuff I was much higher level like I could have passed first year uni maths but couldn't pass year 12 maths here yeah, because right. the what they teach you is different so there was all these like and like some of the music stuff was much much broader and some of the history stuff was much more peeled back and the way of writing for English was like the way you structured paragraphs and stuff. And I came straight into year 12 doing that. And in the UK, you do like assessments at the end of the year. So yeah. you do coursework, but you don't submit it till the end. Whereas in, a, in South Australia, it was like continual assessment yeah, you at are. the front. Yeah. 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 So what you do at the beginning of the year will still count for you yeah. right at the end of the year. Yeah. So that was really challenging. Mm -hmm. And because we'd spent that time traveling um, the school I went to was a pretty privileged school mm -hmm. and I just really struggled with people's lack of ability to see, think outside the box. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't even know they were in a box. And that also made it really hard to connect with people in that year group who already had really established kind of timeframes and yeah. things like that. Yeah, to come into that and then also not be able to connect because you're frustrated by how they're seeing and behaving. Yeah. Um, I think that's when I really became aware of like privilege. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> in a big, big way. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, at, at least that is something to have kind of gained from that in terms of learning. Did you just spend your entire year 12 year in that state feeling that way? Or did you manage to make connections with people in the end? I made a few connections and really I don't keep up with many of the people from there anymore. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of people and they're definitely the more worldly people. <laughs> yeah. Who've done more like social activist kind of threads of work. Yeah, cool. Um, past past school, so yeah. yeah, I keep up with a couple of them, but it's still not as in depth as yeah. I can see around. And that's really hard in the Adelaide setting because in Adelaide, it's all about who you know. It's not about what you know. Absolutely. And yeah. that click, that clickiness, mm. whether you're from like a poor background or or a richer background or from like um, a different cultural background, it's always like a, a bit of a barrier yes. to getting a foot in sometimes so. yeah absolutely and it's it's interesting and I see it now when I look at my experiences so I left the country just before year 10 went on a scholarship to a private all-girls school which was a similar experience for me and then because I was unhappy there moved over to USC and I'm still very aware of the fact that the connections that I made there and the like networking cringe that I did there, not that I was kind of conscious of it, mm. but it still has a roll on effect for me now in terms of getting jobs and going to parties and meeting people and having opportunities and having a social world. Mm. I was doing that work when I was 15, which just seems ridiculous all these years later, but it's so, it takes so long to entrench yourself in a community here mm. but if you come in late it's often really really hard to do the catch up yeah definitely. um so as you were kind of wrapping up at school what were you starting to think that you would do in like the immediate future after school I was kind of expected to go to university it wasn't ever explicitly said um by your parents yeah and family I think I was a like I said fairly smart kid I was very capable I think my dad always regretted not getting into university and the only reason he didn't was that he spoke French at home with his grandma Mm. and his mum so he didn't study a language at school and if he didn't have a language at I think it was O levels then um you couldn't get into a university you had to have done a language as part of your like (laughs) matric equivalent oh wow yeah so I think there was also kind of that pressure and I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I kind of did a double degree in science and arts in the things that I was interested in hoping that I would figure out what it was that I actually wanted to do because I was like I also there was kind of a bit of a push for me to do music Mm. at university but I didn't feel confident enough as a performer to be able to to get into the con mm. um what were your instruments uh voice and flute mm-hmm. also I'd been pushed into quite a classical kind of upbringing and I was much more interested in contemporary music styles mm. and I didn't really have I couldn't figure out a way to kind of access that as a young person so that's as much on me as anything and I, that's really changed a lot when I was at university after the first year uh in the first three months, the rest of my family moved uh, away to Sydney. Oh. And I refused to move with them because I'd started uni and I was like, I'm not moving again. Yeah. And the freedom I got when that happened really opened a lot of things up for me. Yeah, that's a like, radical change. So was that you moving out of home, then leaving? No. Or had you already done so? Um, uh, 
No, I lived in their house while they were deciding what to do with it because they mm. bought a house in Adelaide, but my dad couldn't get work in Adelaide, so moved was working in Sydney and eventually my mum was like, no, I'm taking the rest of my siblings over there and yeah. living over there. Yeah. And then I moved into, when, when they decided to sell the house, I wasn't really ready for shared housing. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and because of the teacher thing, I kind of um, ended up, living and working in boarding houses as a live-in tutor. Oh, oh. Yeah. You are the first person I've ever met who has that in their history. What does that mean? So, depending on the school, and it's changed a little in the last 10 years, but you basically live either in the boarding house or have rooms separate to the boarding house and then do sleepovers there. Um, and you get them up in the mornings. And, you know, I know I was looking after anywhere between 30 to 50 kids at a time. And there'd be a senior staff member who lived on site as well, but you would do quite a lot of the work and supervise them doing their homework, help them with their homework, which I, as much as I hate the teacher thing, I, I do have a natural ability to get people to do stuff. Yeah. So that was a really good fit in terms of that. Um, mm. And I kind of looked after, yeah, would look after the kids, mm. be essentially like a big, big sibling to them. Yeah, and yeah make sure that they're getting things done and walk them to sign them in and out, make sure all that kind of stuff. And in exchange for that, rather than being paid, um, I would get a room to sleep in mm-hmm. and I would get fed during school term time. Wow. So I would get the same food as the kids in the boarding house. Did you feel like that worked for you? It did for me at the time. I was also a big fencer at the time and was one of the big fencing schools. Yes. So, yeah. Um, I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't learn to drive till I was 23, so mm. getting about was sometimes tricky, especially with a fencing bag, and just living on site there made, like, a massive difference yeah, to, like, okay. being able to do training and stuff, the and I had access to a gym and a pool as well, so that was really great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. To keep this in the back of my mind. Okay, cool. So, how long were you doing that for? I think two or three years. Was it the whole, almost the whole time you were at uni, or did that yeah. degree? Um... Um, so I was doing a double degree, and mm. then I came back to just doing arts, mm-hmm. because as much as I loved rocks and geology, I also didn't want to really rape the earth, so yeah. Um, yeah. I realised that that was not going to be a good long-term choice for me. Yeah, okay. Um, and I did second year, third year of um, classical history, undergrad uh-huh. over two years partly because I'd been unwell I'd had pneumonia and so I had to oh, wow. um, spread things out a bit yeah but also because I got quite active like um I was doing music I was in some of the uni choirs even though it was a subject for some people but for me I was doing it for fun because uh-huh. I really missed that yeah. and I was um writing for on day as their music sub-editor yeah right doing layout and stuff for a couple of years so wow so you're an engaged student yeah yeah okay so I assume that based on all cliches that the activism started to kind of blossom during your university years your interest in it surprisingly not so much I think I I come from a pretty conservative background Mm. and I was really aware of feminism Mm -hmm. and I would already always quite like strongly do the right thing and pro people's rights rather than like I remember acing religious studies which was actually broader like social issues topics in the UK and like everyone being like well I was like but this is just easy (laughs) this is like this is the stuff that makes sense and you shouldn't have to think about yes yeah 
but I know it's not that simple for everyone, but like that's how I kind of felt about it. Yeah. Yeah. So once I started figuring out, so while I was at uni, mm. I figured out the art, uh, that I could do arts in other ways that mm. wasn't necessarily performing, mm-hmm. which hadn't really been offered to me as like a career choice before. Mm. And I also realized I might be queer. Mm. <laughs> um, and part of the reason I didn't stay in boarding house situations was at the time, my boss was quite homophobic and was openly encouraging it in the kids. Um, and I realized that I couldn't stay there. Apart from anything, it was um, that loophole that private schools have if they're religion based that they can um, they yeah. can fight. So I moved in with my first partner within three months because I didn't really know what else to do at the time, and I felt like I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. So. That all kind of happened in that two-year, over three, yeah, um, for third-year period. And I was also teaching at university. I got asked in that second, third year um, to be a tutor for a second, third-year subject as well. So I was kind of juggling lots of balls yes. and just, like, not really sure of any of them and finding it really difficult to navigate, particularly with the family situation where I wasn't out because I knew it was going to be tricky. Yeah. Um, yeah, and when that relationship broke down, um, I just started honours in classical history mm-hmm. and I was just like, I don't think I can do this. This is not for me Yeah. in terms of the study. But also I was like, I have no idea who I am or where I am or what I'm doing. Yeah. And, yeah, so I had a pretty bad breakdown at that point in my yeah. life. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you decide to leave honours? Yeah, I yeah. did actually. I was like, this is not the right time. Mm. Um. I was having some friction around the thesis topic. What I wanted to do was definitely much more feminist. Um, right. And there's not there. There are some leading scholars in it in Australia, but it's really early work, and it was too early for doing honours. Yeah. To be um, successful and yeah. to like get scholarships, and I think at the time I also knew my writing wasn't good enough to sustain it. Sustain getting like a scholarship or something yeah. for a PhD and I was like well what's the point of doing this right now I have to make this decision to like pull out yeah. and reassess what I'm doing yeah okay so what came out of that then that decision to to stop doing that stop moving down that path that you had kind of made for yourself yeah so I ended up moving in with my parents for a brief period in Sydney oh okay yeah um which was thwarted a little bit by coming out and which is why I ended up back in Adelaide. But when I was in Sydney, I was like, right, well, if I'm here, they don't offer music business classes in South Australia, not the full course at the time. And I could do that in Sydney. And I got into the course yeah. and I was about to start. And then um, stuff happened and I ended up having to relocate back to Adelaide yeah. um, to some a friend's house, which was a really interesting situation to be in because it was uh, essentially like a Christian a Lutheran hippie commune kind of house. Oh. And I was one of the few people who had my own bedroom in the house. Yeah. Um, and it was definitely a, like a holding space until I got back on my feet. Yeah, okay. It was a very challenging space to be in as a queer person. But they were also like, they were a very socially act- activist house. And I think yeah. that is where probably that friendship had like started blooming or like trying to like massage that out of me. And then in that house, it kind of has has definitely had a massive impact on like being socially aware yeah yeah okay that's interesting um where did you go from there from that point 
Um, I didn't really have a network of, I was kind of a little bit cut off from family for a while there, so mm. I basically had to rely on that friend network, mm. and um, I also wasn't really sure if I was queer or not, mm-hmm. I'd just broken up with a girl for the first time, and I was just like, hmm, I don't, I don't know what fits or what doesn't fit, and yeah. like, I feel like there's more to this than I understand, Yeah. so I joined a queer group for same-sex attracted young people mm-hmm. um, at Second Story in the city. Yeah. And that would that just that was an incredible few years of my life. I got yeah. the mental health care I needed there. I built um, I built a really strong network of people. Second Story is amazing. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm so sad when it closed down. Yes, yeah, so yep. was I. You, but you already had a kind of friendship group. Had you gotten that from university? I'd gotten some friends, but not like, not like a clique or not like a standing base of people. And I think that that's something that's also been, I've definitely been a floater and never really attached into a group for longer than a period of a year or two in my life. And I, I think part of that comes from having moved, but part of it from being, um, social, I, like I'm very introverted mm. and I really struggle to like maintain high levels of socializing yeah. and so I have to make sure I balance that and sometimes people don't understand that yeah. so I've definitely had friction around that too yeah okay um, but then yeah I mean I guess I had a really strong pocket with the fencing crowd but when I stopped fencing it was like my family evaporated yeah um, and that was quite that was the first place I really felt like oh, this is where mm. I belong, this is where I fit. Mm. So that was kind of, like, really hard. That, yeah, being stopping fencing happened about the same time as honours. I stopped doing honours and doing all that kind of stuff. So everything at once. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It okay. kind of just, like, all imploded. Yeah. But then you... you Second s- story was that play. Yeah. And then I moved out with people from there. Nice. Um, and I was working part-time because there wasn't the music course in Adelaide the music business course, not the full course. So I started doing the little bits that were available at Music SA at that time and kind of started building like a couple of little networks there. So I had the queer group and then I had the Music SA stuff and I was doing lots of volunteering, working at like music festivals and events. And um, I was working at JB Hi-Fi and that was kind of like, I was trying to always balance like working part-time and doing the study and then increasingly becoming more like, activist through the career group yeah. and volunteering because I was like all right well if I'm if I'm volunteering if I'm if I'm doing this study I've got to volunteer to be able to like really get my foot in the door yeah it's going to take a while and so yeah trying to I was just like I have to go gung-ho at this I have to work make sure I can cover my bills but also volunteer until I get the right opportunities because like I'm not going to know unless I try all these things yeah and through the career group I ended up volunteering at feast oh, yeah. um and that really kind of was a door opener, partly for like feeling part of a community because I'd felt very alone until that point. Yeah. And then also in terms of like, I just I started doing one day a week of admin for them and came to understand arts as my interest in arts is broader than just music being like actually wider and getting exposed to things like interdisciplinary arts for the first time and like um community engagement stuff and a lot of which I already had skills in that I didn't really know I had yeah and they just kind of teased out a bit and so then yeah just kept kept plugging away at volunteering at stuff for like and getting short contracts yeah um 
I started doing some sound production study but realized that that wasn't quite the right fit and then the arts admin side kind of like started to blossom more and as much as I love marketing I wasn't really sure it was the definitely the right thing but it was the way in you sound like somebody who likes to have a few plates spinning at once. <laughs> I get bored really easily. Yeah, and yeah. If, I'm, if I get bored, I get disengaged. And yeah. I'm quite aware of that. Yeah. Um, and I know that I have to, when I get bored, I either have to change something up, add mm. something into the mix, or move to something else. Yeah. And yeah. I'm really conscious of that. Yeah. I have to do that. Mm. Otherwise, I'm not good for other people around me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So, um, is this the point at which you started to make money in this area? Started to, yeah. So yeah. I got involved with Carcoo, which was great. Um, did their off-the-couch program, yeah. which a lot of my peers actually went through, like yeah. in the industry, um, and is where a lot of my friend base is actually from. Yeah, It's really interesting in arts, definitely in music and definitely like in broader arts it's very different there's not really a separation between your like social world and your work world it's very blurred yeah so sometimes you forget what's what (laughs) yes yeah it's it's interesting you should say that because speaking of Liz from last season when before we sat down to do her interview she was telling me that she was kind of exhausted and she was getting in late because she had ended up drinking wine on a you know, on a porch with somebody until mm. the wee hours, who is like a business associate. Yep. It's important that they're connected with each other for business reasons. But, you know, obviously they like each other, they have common interests, yep. but that bleed for when you stop working yeah. is so, so grey in in yeah. the arts, I think. And obviously in other industries increasingly. Yeah. But I think the arts it seems to be the one that I'm hearing it most. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, because like the hours you keep as an arts worker particularly, <laughs> it's not conducive to having a social life outside of it necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Unless you kind of cut yourself off from having those different opportunities. Yeah, and you, yeah. and you are like you you end up choking yourself out professionally yeah. if you're not willing to if you're not willing to make that your entire kind of all encompassing experience. Yeah, which yeah. has been a problem like in terms of like relationships. Yeah, um, it's definitely been a strain because especially with if you, when doing festival work, you get these like really high intense periods of activity. It can be like a three month lead up, mm. and it will be really full on and your focus just can't be anywhere else yeah or if it is it's very strained and it's not on point and people who don't work in the arts don't often appreciate it or a challenge to engage with it in the right way yeah yeah Um, I think also doing those sorts of doing those sorts of events and that sort of thing there there seems to be a feeling of like tunnel vision, social mm. tunnel vision as well. It's like being on school camp or something like that. You start existing just inside that world and that community and everything else can feel a little bit distant. Mm. But it's interesting too because I feel like quite often I have like pockets of um, people that I socialise with mm. and they're still arts pockets but there's like the queer people who kind of get arts which for, for, for whatever reason – Queer people in arts seems to be very quite closely aligned. I've mm. I've found, yeah. and even if you're not an arts worker, you have a very strong affinity for those people who work in it. Yeah, um, and because that arts 
often crosses over into social activism as well. That's kind of like definitely my like immediate peer group yes, on that yeah. side. And then your arts people and then everyone else who you're just like, I can't remember even how to interact with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. family dinner. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess you, you can get so, so at ease that you just take for granted the fact that not, not everybody exists the way that you do. No. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It's interesting. I guess, I guess it's sort of historically the arts has been kind of a, a safer space mm. for queer people. So I think you're right. There is mm. generally a lot of crossover in queer groups. Yeah. Okay, cool. So working for Kakwe, were you just working for Kakwe at this point? No, I kind of was doing short contracts for them here and there and mm-hmm. eventually getting – I was doing some regional work with them, oh, which cool. was going out to Murray Bridge once a week for like six months yeah. on a music-based project. Yeah. I was doing Feast Festival and became increasingly involved in that and running the queer youth group at yeah. Second Story, not just being a participant. Nice. That teacher slash – Almost leadership role I seem to fall into yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's following you. Yeah, um, and through those things I kind of ended up on the Rainbow Advisory Council for Department of Communities and Social Inclusion, which, nice. like, I was already self-educating myself in, like, queer queer tropes and queer ways of being and understanding mm. and also in, like, feminist ways. Like, I realised I was quite feminist but didn't really know that. But a lot of my friends were studying that. So then I kind of got this kind of osmosis of, like, social justice and, yeah. like, what, what queer agendas were and how, how gender can be a construct, which, like, was really interesting situation. <laughs> um, yeah. How old were you when that kind of concept came into your consciousness? Between 23 and 26. Yeah. Yeah. And... I kind of, I mean, I think the thing for me is I knew that I was queer. Mm. I didn't really want to call myself a lesbian because I knew I was attracted to more than just women. And I was fairly sure that I'm attracted to more than binary genders. Mm -hmm. But then with gender stuff, I think I hadn't really thought to apply that to myself in the same way I hadn't thought to apply to myself that maybe I am attracted to other people. Yes, yeah. So the first time I did drag, yeah. which was part of the youth group, yeah. oh, my God, it blew my mind. The way, like, I moved in ways that, like, felt very natural to me and the confidence was different and yeah. I was just, like, blown away by it but also by the way people interacted and read me and interacted with me. Yeah. And I suddenly was, like, it was, like, something, like, ticked over in me. I was, like oh, this is another instance where I don't have to be the thing that I was brought up to be. Yeah. Um, and then I started exploring that. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of a things started clearing out after that really difficult period. In yeah. Hormones. And then I had another relationship, which yeah. was quite longstanding. Mm-hmm. And that person was actually pretty, I still have a lot of love for them. Mm. But also it was challenging because they weren't so keen on like, me exploring gender stuff and I think that was the crux wasn't the only reason but it was eventually like one thing that was really hurting me in that space that I didn't really know how to work through Mm -hmm. um and I think I've always felt kind of like because of my family situation quite often felt like I'm looking I have to look after myself in really particular ways make sure I'm in safe I've got things set up longer term not just shorter term and like trying to figure out what my safety is going to be. Yeah. So I think I probably stayed in that relationship too long. Yeah. And 
probably did a lot of damage to how I felt about myself. And yeah, I still work through that on a day to day basis. And it yeah. wasn't until after that relationship, I, I remember the first time I was like at work and I was like, I just changed my name on the bottom of my email signature and I was like, this is, this is the change. This is where yeah. I'm going to be embracing this more fully now. Yeah. And like, it's been a slow process and I'm not, it's not always easy. And sometimes I don't bring it to the front and center of what's going on because I don't think it needs to be, but yeah. also it's a big part of who I am and I'm still figuring it out. So yeah. 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 I mean, of course. Yeah. So we're kind of getting up into a point, um, because obviously you're not still at Parklow and you're not still at Second Story. Yeah. And so what, what kind of happened next in terms of your career? Sure. After – so that that stuff all kind of, sorry, I'm going to be like – No, no, it's uh, all right. The gender stuff kind of came out at the end of being at the Festival Centre, but I haven't actually talked about getting that step in. Yes, okay, <laughs> yeah, all right, cool. cool. So I kind of – after doing lots of volunteering for probably about – five to six years, a long time doing parts of full-time work to look after myself. Yeah. I got a fellowship at the Festival Centre. Wow. Which was a pretty amazing opportunity. There was, I think, 120 people applied. They interviewed four of us, and I was really lucky to get that. Um, That's incredible. What did it entail? So it's like a year-long paid internship, essentially, working across wow. um, working across marketing and programming. And mm-hmm. I can do the marketing work and I knew I could do it, mm-hmm. but once I got my head around what programming was and what a producer was and realised that some of the stuff I've been doing with Feast as the MD Youth Committee, like creating programs for them was actually the same thing. I was like, right, so this is where I'm going. And like nice. nobody had explained all these things to me. Like I kind of had to teach myself how these structures work and yeah. being in that um, internship role for a year was definitely like really key to me understanding how the industry worked on a broader level. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it was just amazing. Mm. And at the end of that, I managed to secure a spot working on Old Asia Festival. Wow. Which was really great. Awesome. Um, how did you find working in that company? I don't know what the right word corporate. to use is. Um, um, <laughs> I don't know. The Festival Centre, how did you find that? Because um, um, that's obviously a new and a very different <sighs> experience in the arts, having come from kind of smaller organisations. And, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, um, I found it quite confronting how corporate it was. I was yeah. very surprised about that. I had a massive learning curve on language, which was great. It was, like, exactly what I needed. And I really thrive in situations where I'm learning on the job mm. and doing as I go. And so that was really great. Definitely kind of got a feel for both working on, like, individual shows and understanding the differences between like spaces being hired as opposed to being programmed and how the different like timescales of like festivals and like how yeah I think it was really interesting working in a place that has had like three or four different festivals going on alongside full-time programming and Mm. that was so resourced Mm. um yeah and then leaving that and moving to a different kind of organization and hearing how people talk about that organization outside of that as well it's very interesting when you move between places yes what how you understand it on the inside and how you understand it on the outside yeah what you yeah yeah so how long were you with Asia? for two yes two Two years years. yeah Yeah, right wow okay so that was 
that was your job? That, that was, was your only job? Uh, yeah, it was my only job. I was wow. really lucky that that was also full-time. Yeah, well done. Um, and, yeah, during that three-year period, I was on the Rainbow Advisory Council for okay. DCSI. Yeah. I had been doing stuff with Feast Youth Committee at, prior to that, and then when the DCSI stuff came up, I kind of passed that on to someone else and mm-hmm. made sure that there was succession planning. Yes, yeah. Um, and the youth drop-in that Feast Runs had been set up as a result of that programming we done so that yeah. I felt comfortable to like move on to something yes, else and, yeah. and give someone else a chance yeah and then yeah creating the inclusion strategy for LGBTIQ people at DCSI was quite an experience I got like first-hand community consultations in regions I got to work with a really broad spectrum of people that don't necessarily all come together in a queer space apart mm-hmm. from at feast mm-hmm. um and understand their intersections and experiences inside the queer community a lot stronger mm. and got to start the ball rolling on just a little bit i mean i'm very lucky in the arts for the most place it's quite a safe place to work mm-hmm. mostly not always but outside the arts how to <laughs> you know i just wanted to be able to make a difference doing yeah. that and making my knowledge or other people's knowledge and needs more more known yes yeah so that was really great I feel like there's probably not it's uh it's bubbled away in the background of government organizations and is making a difference but I was hoping it would like hit the wider community more but I guess that comes down to resourcing and then also political priorities so yeah unfortunately how was working for Asia? It was really interesting. It was coming to the end of a period of directors Mm -hmm. um, and it was ready for that change, but it was also really political. So then there was this kind of of like business political bent to the festival, which is my introduction to soft power, which is leveraging arts and culture for political prowess. And (laughs) it was was really full on and things would change very quickly and you would have to be responsive to the politicians quite often or, like, fight for the artists or, you know, that kind of thing. So things would change really quickly as a result of political relationships. Yeah, well, a memorandum of understanding between Shandong province in China and South Australia was signed at one of the festivals. I can't remember which year it was, maybe 2014. Mm -hmm. So... The things that would change would be like we'd have schedules in place and then have to alter them because either the governor or someone had changed their plans and wasn't arriving or was coming early or, you know, just making sure that we have everything in place. So it became a lot more logistically different and how we... Yeah, it wasn't just putting on a festival. Yeah, no, no. yes, I, I do. Don't, wow. Do you know how to explain no, it no, you've explained it well. That's really interesting. And I mean, like, as you say that, of course, it makes absolute sense, but it's such a strange thing to have to think about juggling those things in your mind having mm. to juggle the politics as well as orchestrating a massive event and working cross-culturally or interculturally and that's like that's the thing I discovered I really loved working on Asia Festival and particularly the Asian region I didn't really have much access to it as a kid growing up in mm-hmm. the UK and grew started to grow an awareness in as I was working studying and then as working on Asia, it really like blew that apart and that like my curiosity and my interest in the Asia Pacific region has like really grown as a result, particularly in the way different like 
the philosophy and the difference in how people approach things and why and the cultural cultural platforms people come from into spaces and like mm. figuring out how to navigate that together yeah and making people feel welcome in in spaces that they don't know how to navigate yeah um were you did you receive training or did you just figure that stuff out as you went no I figured that stuff out as I went <laughs> For the most part. I mean, like, I was like, well, if I'm working on this festival, I kind of need to figure this out. So I found on Open Access University online, there was, like, a working in China as a business person and working in Asia, like, cultural things to be aware aware of working in business Mm. in Asia. Just kind of, like, watch those. And then from that found, like, this food TV series that actually tells you a lot about the culture in China through the food. I like it, like, very ad hoc. Yeah, just like, um, definitely, a per- <laughs> yeah, I just get like in these like little black holes of like research yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's where I'm happiest. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it works fine then. Did you decide to leave Ausasia? Is that how that ended? No, that's, um, um, the new director and I didn't necessarily get it on. Yeah, okay. So that ended. Mm. But I, in towards the end of that, through connections I'd made working at the festival, mm-hmm. I um, got a chance to work on laneways in Singapore. And through the other connections, I just like booked a flight to Malaysia and slept on someone's couch, a, a dear friend, Absalom, and um, went to some like theatre forums in, in Kuala Lumpur, awesome. where some of those people that I met were at. And then made my way from there to Singapore and worked on two contemporary music festivals and just went to all this art stuff off my own back. And awesome. It was like the best thing I'd done for myself in years. Yeah, and such a confidence boost, I would imagine, yeah. being able to just wrangle that stuff yourself. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, and really kind of opened my world up, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is. I want to be working more in Asia and doing yeah. that kind of intercultural work and need to spend more time here yeah Yeah. I mean Singapore is like one place also while I was working on Asia Festival there's a lot of interns and generally from China and from Hong Kong and there was um, a young woman from South Korea who is one of my best friends and we still keep up very regularly Um, I was in Prague earlier this year working on Prague Fringe and she's studying a PhD in London on Korean theatre and she came over for the for a couple of days just to hang out and it's just been like yeah the things I've gotten out of working on that festival are far and beyond like the artistic output yes um, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah um so how long did this sort of period of stringing together work in Malaysia and Singapore that was on? about two three weeks of yeah. work and then okay. I came mm-hmm. back and then finished up at Asia Festival yeah. and then ended up working at Car Clue. So Yeah, right. Yeah. You apply for a job or did yeah. they Yeah, nice. Yeah. And as an organization that had definitely been a place that had fostered me yeah. and developed my skills in event management and had given me my first like some of my first contracts mm. between them and Feast. It was really exciting to be able to come on board. Yeah. They had quite um it was also a difficult time, I think, because they had had quite a strong change in organisation structure, and so there was a lot of politics in the local scene about the people who had not stayed. Yeah. So that was interesting to navigate, but yeah. it was it was really good opportunity, and I was glad to be able to give back to an organisation that had given back to me. Yes. So much. Yeah. So, absolutely. Yeah. How long were you with Carclue? Three years. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty amazing. I kind of came into an organisation where there wasn't quite, there was a bit of like um, juggling of what was going on and we were revisioning what the company was doing. Mm -hmm. I stepped in and like learned a lot about visual arts. As I went, um, yeah. there's a residency program there for curators and artists, uh -huh. and I kind of stepped into look after those that, that group of people, and kind of made the exhibition series that was part of that a little bit more lively and a bit more engaged with the local emerging and early career scene, yeah. which I've just fallen a little bit on. And yeah, I taught myself that stuff as I went. And when I didn't know, I'd just have to ask questions. And yeah. like having a network of people was really important. Like people from the Festival Centre, particularly uh, Carissa, she, um, I was like, I'm taking this on. I have no idea. Can I sit down and have coffee with you? Yeah. And just like being able to have those connections to like really lean on, mm. like was definitely something very invaluable I got out of if, well, it's not that I just got out of it. It's like it's what you do, and people come to you and ask you the same down the line as well. So exactly. it's like creating it's awesome, psychology. Yeah. Yes, yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Okay, cool. So you were three years at Carlclue and then decided to make a change. Um, about eighteen months in, two years in, I was like, "All right, I'm getting comfortable." Ooh. What's the plate I need to spin, as you put it? <laughs> um, I was also really weird that. I needed more in terms of doing leadership roles mm. or I needed more creative outlet. Mm -hmm. I had seen around me that a lot of women in particular, there's a bit of a glass ceiling in Adelaide and to get the step up, the next step up in industry, mm -hmm. those people that I looked up to were having to move interstate or overseas mm. and then come back in at a higher level. Yeah. Most of them found a struggle personally outside of the work the work mm. is fine but you know having to do that because there isn't a step in when a lot of the male people <laughs> were tending to get opportunities to step up a lot so I was like right well what do I need to do to get that next step mm. and so as I do I was like right what opportunities are around me and just started applying for a whole bunch of stuff including the next wave program in Melbourne, mm -hmm. Kickstart Helix. But like, I was really excited about this one because it was an organization that also worked with like sustainability, access, queerness, prioritizing First Nations and people of color, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff that I felt strongly about and mm -hmm. was struggling to like figure out how to bring to my space. Mm -hmm. And I felt like if I could get work, if I could get a chance to work in an environment where there was that working from the first place I could build a tool tool set yes yeah that I could bring back yeah because I was like oh, maybe I'm ready to move from Adelaide but also it's the thing everyone does and I don't want to have to do that and be part of that yes that yeah. kind of thing yeah so when I got the call that I got into this program as a producer I was just like ecstatic I bet yeah and it was amazing it was, wasn't without its like qualms but definitely like it was a really probably one of the safest spaces I've worked in both yeah. for like queerness but like for everyone's intersections and for people's respect yeah. and the way they treated each other yeah. both from the organization and the cohort yeah. I've been told from the outside we were very much like a cult <laughs> the way we interact <laughs> with each other when people yeah. came to the festival they were like oh you're part of that program yeah <laughs> without Can feel it yeah <laughs> um how was 
resettling in a new city? Well, I didn't have to. So it was a program where I would fly in and out to different activities throughout right. an 18-month process up to the festival. Okay, right. And so, like, probably a good a third to two-thirds of the cohort were from Melbourne. The rest of us were from uh, Sydney, Darwin, mm-hmm. Canberra, and Perth. Mm-hmm. How did you afford to do that? Well, that's the thing. Arts um, Next Wave funds that for wow. one person per project. Yeah. So for me, it was just for me. For yeah. some of the other projects, they apply for extra money. Um, and then with some of the extra activity that happened around that, then I applied for money from Arts South Australia, yeah. which, you know, I knew those grant programs existed for, like, professional development, but I'd never been able to string together, like – a professional development program for myself yeah and through this program I learned how to do that yeah and I was like this is what I needed yeah <laughs> this is what I didn't know that I knew I needed yes um and this is why I just like keep applying for these things and yeah. like pushing past like just doing a job because like I'm not gonna grow if I don't do those things no yeah absolutely yeah. so it culminates in a festival yeah what kind of a festival so it's a contemporary interdisciplinary and experimental arts festival that happens for two weeks every two years in melbourne in melbourne wow. and it's all pretty much all commissioned or like new work there's yep. very there's a couple of um overseas works that were existing this year but everything else was new yeah and most of the work comes from the kickstart helix cohort which was 17 artists uh-huh. this time round and then there's some more established or middle career artists that get commissioned to do work as well yeah. alongside that program yeah. not everyone gets to make work in the festival but like this year the cohort I think like most everyone did so yeah, right. yeah and it was an amazing experience to be able to do the festival from like the, a producer or an artist side and get an insight into how the artists minds work and yeah. how their pro- what their processes are because I'd come into the arts world from such like a left of center yeah like I had the analytical skills but I didn't have that art theory background and it's definitely the way that I've been able to learn it and like build relationships across the country yes yeah yeah wow far out yeah it's incredible so I did that alongside car clue for about 18 months yeah yeah um and then after it finishes and the program's over how were you feeling uh the next wave program yeah I felt accomplished Mm. which I don't often feel I felt very excited to have been able to work in that space particularly like a space that is very left Mm. I think in arts there's not a lot of risk taking due to funding sometimes yeah and programming is becoming more socially aware in the fringes of the arts fringes of the mainstream and slowly coming into the mainstream but I mean, like, Adelaide's very white. I mean, people like Liz is doing really great work in Northern Mm -hmm. Sound System, and, like, there are pockets of that stuff, and Act Now Theatre, where I'm working at the moment, there are pockets of that starting to happen now, but it's going to be a while to wear somewhere like Melbourne or Sydney in those terms. Um, But also, like, getting to work in an organisation that really acknowledges, you know, that sovereignty wasn't ceded and that the land we're working on is not, has been colonised and then, like, trying to figure out better ways to work both as a coloniser or as someone who 
is on the colonised land and how to make that dialogue and space safer. That was really, really important to me. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think in a lot of cases, whilst you might have the best intentions until you see those things being done in a really pragmatic way, it's hard to know how to, how to introduce them into your work and into your life. Yeah, and part of my application was saying, I don't know how to access this where I am and I feel like I need leadership from outside of Adelaide yeah. to bring it in. Yeah. And I think that's part of like why I'm, I was in the program was exactly to get that. So. Yes, yeah. Um, okay, so after it finished, did you continue on at Carclow? Um, Actually, it's kind of funny. A few things just kind of culminated at the same time. Yeah. So the festival was in May mm-hmm. um, and I got the job at, at Now Theatre offered to me in April. Offered to you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a role I'd applied for the year before and um, right. not got. Um, and the position became available again and... Actually, as much as I was gutted at the time that I didn't get it, it was probably really good that I had that year doing the stuff with Next Wave in the meantime and definitely let me grow as a person to come into the organisation in the right space. Yes, yeah. And with much broader skill set, but also much broader network. Yeah. Which I think is going to be important for the company going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So just to explain a little bit about what ACT Now is for kind of people who don't know. Yeah. Cool. Act Now Theatre is a socially conscious theatre company. It was started by Edwin Kemp Atrell about 10 years ago. He's still, he's the artistic director and CEO currently. It works in Forum Theatre for the most part, which is a, uh, de- was developed by Augusto Bau. It's an interactive theatre form that teaches people how to be social activists around particular issues Mm. and we work particularly at the moment with queer first nations and people of color communities first providing access to theater arts and broader arts and then creating opportunities for work through repertoire Mm -hmm. and then we're also probably one of the strongest organizations for having non-arts partnerships we get commissioned a lot to work particularly in the health system to Mm. address things like systemic racism through theater and that creates work opportunities for the artists coming through our program so that they can sustain a career and not just do it as a one-off thing so that we can eventually feed that into a wider pool of more diverse artists in South Australia. Awesome. Rock on, Eddie. Such a cool guy. Okay, cool. All right. So you're at Act Now now. Yep. What does your role look like there? So as a general manager and kind of international producer. Oh. Um, no, not kind of. I am, I am, I'm working uh, as a producer on the international works that we've got going at the moment. Wow. So, My day-to-day, the week starts with finance, um, Mm. doing payroll, doing payments, um, making sure that the grant schedule is being adhered to, (laughs) that kind of thing. I do Mm. a lot of the, like, kind of policy writing and general organising of, Mm. like, we've just moved into our own venue on Hindley Street, so there's a little bit of admin going on there. I'm setting up a volunteer program and a lot of paperwork. Yeah. It's definitely, like, things that I'm good at doing mm-hmm. and I enjoy that kind of systematic kind of stuff, yeah. um, which yep. a lot of people don't, particularly artists. Mm. But there's also, like, a lot of, like, talking to people and just, like, making sure things are happening, managing people, just supporting Ed's vision to make 
work. Yes, and yeah. take work off his hands to get it done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I'm sure he appreciates. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, cool. And in terms of international producing, mm. with my producing skills, I'm kind of coming in on the higher level projects because of my better my experience and a bit of understanding in of working in Asia. So we've got a collaboration with a Taiwanese theatre company called Very Theatre at the moment, which is really exciting, looking at queer virtual intimacy. So wow. we've both made independently works that kind of address that. And so Asia Toker in Melbourne has kind of brought Ed and Yen together through a program there. And yeah, this collaboration is just kind of springing out of that. Wow! So awesome! It's really exciting. exciting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that that that's kind of good that you brought that up because I'm. I was just going to ask you kind of what's next for you, and obviously this is pretty engaging right mm. now. But what are you kind of seeing for yourself in the coming, say, like months, years? Yeah, cool. So I I feel like I'm going to be with the company for quite a while. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about the work they're doing. I want to support that. I'm going to be contributing to greater diversity in SA. And I think this is a great way I can chip away at that. I feel like this job has really kind of culminated, like my social activism and then my interest in arts and then my skills all into one place. So it's pretty exciting. But then that begs the question, where next? (laughs) So I definitely want to keep working in Asia. Yeah. I'm not sure whether that's like touring work or if that's going to be like um, working for other festivals and events and stuff around Asia or working in cultural diplomacy or something like that. I'm I'm applying for, I don't know if I'll get in, but applying for masters because I finally feel like I'm ready to study again after the next wave process and I feel like whatever is next, I need to have that under my belt. Yes. To get to it. So I'm sure. kind of like trying to set things up. Mm. Yep. To ready yourself for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that that, I need it on my resume, mm. but I'm not just doing it for that. No, like I have interest and I think I've, I've kind of always try and sit back and look at what skills I'm missing or mm. what, where my weak points are or what things can get me to the next stage and what the mm. next stage is and looking and seeing what they're doing and mm. what that gap is so Mm. I spend a lot of time reflecting on that kind of thing and I feel like now is the right time to be doing this so that's kind of the next step and after that I'm not quite sure yeah no we'll see what happens yeah um okay so this is this is us sort of wrapping up but before we finish is there anything that we haven't touched on I haven't asked you about that you feel like it's really kind of important in your story yeah I think that it's in I've been having this conversation with a few people recently Mm. about resourcing and access and I've been pretty privileged in how I grew up Mm -hmm. Uh, although from a low socio-economical area I was very lucky to be able to migrate to Mm. a country where I had better opportunities and live on (laughs) colonized land Mm. and live with the advantages of that Mm. I also think that the choices people make when they have resourcing and support networks available to them makes a big difference. And I think that I've definitely made choices in my life that have not been the choices I want to make. It's the choices I make to maintain security or safety or rather than taking the big risks and just not having a home for like 
two years and just working one festival contract here and one festival contract there and just getting by and part of that has been through like how to make myself feel okay yeah when I don't have a family network to fall back on if I don't have money to pay my bills or to pay a bond or something yeah I mean that's one thing but also um at the end of one relationship I ended up with a dog and living with a dog on my own and the dog's really good for my mental health and I need to keep having her around and I love her to pieces and wouldn't change that for the world but it's definitely changed what opportunities I can pursue as well because I mean like renting even like it's really hard to find places that will take a dog let alone for a short contract yeah and you know then having people around to be able to look after her when I travel and stuff and travel is definitely increasing in my work and that's definitely something that I want to keep happening so I just now I'm a little bit more settled with someone Mm. it's not such a big issue but it's definitely things you have to navigate and I'm I mean I don't have children and I know a lot of people have children and they have those barriers but and it's not the same but yeah. I think I think um think I just want people to know that you know those things do happen but sometimes you just have to find other paths around yes and it's not always as straightforward and it might not be what you want but it doesn't mean that you can't you can find ways yeah 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 nice yeah. <laughs> okay that's that's beautiful do you feel comfortable if you've got any questions for me or for Ren just reach out to me on our social also like and follow us and rate us on iTunes I've been Sarah Bell this has been Gate Close Panic I will see you in a fortnight <laughs>